Welcome to the Fastest Five Minutes, presented by Kroll & Mooring. We are your co-hosts for this edition, Peter Ayer and Monica Sterling, bringing you a bi-weekly summary of significant government contracts, legal and regulatory developments that no government contracts lawyer or executive should be without. We turn it over to Monica first for an update on an important executive order. Thanks, Peter. Last week, President Biden signed an executive order increasing the hourly minimum wage for federal government contractors and subcontractors to $15 per hour beginning January 30, 2022. The EO supersedes the Obama-era federal minimum wage EO, and like that EO, applies to contracts and subcontracts for concessions, those covered by the Service Contract Act or Davis-Bacon Act, as well as contracts, quote, in connection with federal property or lands and related to offering services for federal employees, their dependents, or the general public, end quote. The minimum wage requirement applies to all employees, quote, working on or in connection with, end quote, a covered contract. Under the CEO, all solicitations issued after January 30, 2022, must incorporate the new minimum wage. By March 30, 2022, agencies need to implement the higher wage into new contracts. Agencies are strongly encouraged to ensure that the higher wage is paid in contracts for which solicitations are issued prior to January 30, 2022. The increase will be included in existing contracts that are extended. The Department of Labor will issue implementing regulations no later than this November, and those regs will provide some more guidance on contractors' obligations for compliance. A key question that we'll be focused on is whether the Department of Labor will provide greater guidance as to what constitutes work performed, quote, in connection with, end quote, a covered contract, as that phrase will determine the ultimate breadth of the new EO. The final rule implementing the Obama-era mandate that I mentioned at the top utilized the same in-connection-with language and provided some clarification regarding how to interpret that phrase. We'll be watching to see whether the regulations here implementing the new EO will adopt that same guidance. Thanks, Monica. Now we're going to turn to an update from NIST. On April 27th, NIST, or the National Institute of Standards and Technology, released its draft special publication 800-172A, which is titled Assessing Enhanced Security Requirements for Protecting Controlled Unclassified Information. It's designed to help federal agencies and organizations conduct assessments on their ability to secure controlled unclassified information, which is commonly known as CUI, for high assets maintained in non-governmental systems, as required by NIST Special Publication 800-172. NIST 800-172 was designed to supplement the requirements contained in 800-171, which is the key standard under DFARS 252-204-7012, and it provides 35 enhanced security requirements to protect CUI associated with critical programs and high-value assets from sophisticated adversaries, which are typically referred to as advanced persistent threats, or APTs. The draft publication provides federal agencies and organizations with assessment procedures that they may use to carry out assessments of the 800-172 requirements. I also want to briefly mention an interesting outcome in a protest decision involving OCIs. Here's the short version. The Office of Dispute Resolution for Acquisition, known as ODRA, for the FAA, that's the entity that hears protests at the FAA, found that a contractor and a contracting officer had improperly dealt with an OCI. In addition to sustaining the protest and terminating the contract, OSRA recommended referral of the contract to the appropriate suspension and debarment officials because of that unmitigated OCI. Certainly underscores and highlights the risk of OCIs, 
And this is an unusual outcome in that in addition to sustaining the protest and terminating the contract, there was a further step involving a suspension and debarment referral. Back to Monica for two additional protest matters. Okay, so we're going to have two more protest matters. There's going to be a couple acronyms, so bear with me. First, an interesting court protest. On March 29th, the Court of Federal Claims denied motions to dismiss challenges to a $5.5 billion set of multi-award blanket purchase agreements, BPA, so there's our first acronym, issued by the General Services Administration, GSA. Quotes were submitted through contractor teaming arrangement submissions. We'll call those CTAs. And team members were permitted to enter into several CTAs. Plaintiffs were members of other winning teams, but the Air Force rejected their quotes as team leads, prompting the protest. Defendant interveners argued that these three plaintiffs lacked standing because they were awarded BPAs as CTA team members, not leads. The court found plaintiffs did have standing to protest the Air Force's rejection of their quotes as team leads, given that their roles were not equivalent to those on the awarded CTA team. The court noted that there were, quote, some significant differences in being awarded a contract as a team lead and as a team member, end quote including that CTA leads can remove members, meaning that team members do not appear to have the assurance that they will retain their status as team members on teams that they do not lead. Okay, we'll put a pin in that one. Turning to the GAO protest decision. On April 26th, the Government Accountability Office, GAO, sustained a protest against an Air Force solicitation that required the protege member of any member protege joint venture offeror to meet the same experience requirements as all other offerors. The RFP there required that a joint venture offeror provide a minimum of at least one work sample from each member of the joint venture that reflected a federal contract performed by the entity as a prime contractor on a non-fixed price basis for at least six months within the last five years. Quite a requirement. The protester argued that the language directly violated the past performance, experience, and capabilities evaluation criteria for small business joint ventures in 15 CFR 125.8E. That provision explains that, quote, a procuring activity may not require the protege firm to individually meet the same evaluation or responsibility criteria as that required of other offerors generally, end quote. The Small Business Administration, SBA, in an opinion solicited by the GAO, agreed with the protester, noting that that CFR provision, 125.8E, does not mandate a particular level or type of experience and provides agencies with flexibility to determine the appropriate criteria the protégés must be held to a different experience standard from mentors and other offerors. The underlying rationale for the SBA's rule and mentor-protégé relationship is that a protégé may not be able to meet all performance requirements by itself, and therefore can gain experience through the help of its mentor and joint venture partner. That makes sense. So ultimately, GAO ruled that the solicitation's experience requirement violates the express prohibition in the SBA's regulations. No more acronyms for me. <laughs> Thanks very much, Monica. With that, we'll close out this edition. This has been the Fastest Five Minutes brought to you by Kroll and Mooring. See you again in two weeks. If you have any questions, I can be reached at 202-624-2807, and Monica can be reached at 202-624-2549. Thanks for joining us. The Fastest Five Minutes podcast is brought to you by Kroll and Mooring LLP. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, and if you enjoy our show, please leave us a review. You can find more information at kroll.com slash govconpodcast. podcast.